John Keel Investigates a Landing and Creature Report in Erie, Pennsylvania, by Charles Lear. In 1966, John Keel, longtime Fortean and author of several books on UFOs, including his most famous book published in 1975, The Mothman Prophecies, was just beginning to focus on the UFO phenomenon. At this point in his life, he was writing articles for the British publication Flying Saucer Review and sharing his research with Jim and Coral Lorenzen of the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. He wrote an article about one case he looked into that year, headlined New Landing and Creature Reports, that was published in the November-December 1966 Flying Saucer Review. The article's main focus is on one incident that took place on July 31, 1966. Keel shared the details of the case with APRO, and they published their take on it, headlined The Prescott Isle Landing, in the July-August 1966 APRO Bulletin. The incident Keel wrote about happened on Prescott Isle in Erie, Pennsylvania. Prescott Isle is, in Keel's words, a hook-shaped peninsula encompassing Erie Harbor on Lake Erie. He describes it as a state park with 11 beaches and an administration building housing a Coast Guard station and a police dispatch office. At night, the dispatch office was manned by a single person who transmitted to two patrol officers. According to Keel, Betty Jean Clem, 16, Douglas J. Tibbetts, 18, Gerald LaBelle, 26, Anita Hafley, 22, and her two children, one two months old and one six years old, arrived by car at Beach Number 6 at 8 p.m. for a picnic. As they pulled up to a picnic table, the car got stuck in the sand. LaBelle went to get some help, and the rest waited. Patrolman Clark and Loeb, first names Ralph and Robert from the APRO Bulletin, were driving by, and they stopped to check on the group. Tibbets told them they were okay, and the patrolman left. The group then packed up and sat in the car to wait for LaBelle. Tibbets and Clem sat in the front seat, and Hafley got in the back seat with her children, who were falling asleep. The car was surrounded on three sides by trees and bushes, with bushes that were about 12 feet tall in the front. Sometime between 9.30 and 10 p.m., Tibbetts and Clem reportedly caught sight of an unusually bright star. As they watched, it grew larger and then seemed to be heading towards them. When it got close enough, they could make out a form behind the brilliant white light. It then dropped down onto beach number seven beyond the bushes in front of them. Clem described the object as being as big as a house and mushroom-shaped. She said she saw lights on the back of the object. Tibbetts described it as triangular to one patrolman, shaped like a cake to a newspaper reporter, and hexagonal and hollowed out in the center on a local radio show. According to Tibbetts and Clem, the object came down 150 yards in front of them, and as it did so, it turned a brilliant red, and the car vibrated and shook. They said they heard a loud buzzing or humming like a telephone receiver makes, and scratching noises, as if someone was walking on the roof. According to Keel, Tibbetts found a dent and some scratches on the roof. Tibbetts and Clem reported that after the object seemingly landed, it emitted beams of white light that fanned out towards the woods. Tibbetts said there were 9 to 12 beams, though he was later quoted in the newspapers as saying there was only one like a searchlight. Clem said, we just couldn't believe it was really happening. Clark and Loeb drove by and according to Tibbetts, the lights from the object went out. Tibbetts got the patrolman to stop by flashing the brake lights and then ran towards them, saying, There's something weird going on here. The three men walked out to the beach, and as they did, Clem, who was still in the car, shouted to Haley, 
Don't look. There's somebody out there. Clem later told police and reporters that she saw a tall figure in front of the car. She said she couldn't see its legs and saw it had a head by leaning forward and looking up through the windshield. She insisted it was not human or any animal she had ever seen before. According to Keel, Clem laid into the horn and blew continuously as the creature sluggishly moved off into the woods. The men didn't see anything unusual when they went to investigate. When they heard the horn, they ran back to the car. As they were running up, Clem jumped out and started to run in a state of hysterics. Clark stopped her, and the men did what they could to calm her down. Tibbetts said he'd never seen her act that way in the ten years he'd known her. According to Keel, Clem's panic was contagious, and the men decided it would be best if everyone left. They all got into the patrol car and headed for the administration building. Keel describes the man at the dispatcher's desk, Owen Wilson, is saying that when he saw Hayfley walk in with her sleeping children, he thought they'd been drowned. According to Keel, flying saucer stories had been in the local papers in the last week and were nothing new to the officers. Wilson called Park Superintendent Michael E. Wargo and Police Chief Dan Descanio. Clem was still in a frightened state and refused to sit with her back to the window. Her hysteria seemed genuine to the officers. Descanio later told reporters, I know what people are going to say, but that girl saw something that scared her badly. This is no joke as far as I'm concerned. Descanio was impressed enough to call Air Technical Intelligence Command at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to report the incident. Tibbetts and Clem came back to the aisle the next night and asked for permission to sit at the beach overnight because Tibbetts had heard that flying saucers often returned to the same spot over several days. Their request was denied. Two other officers, Paul H. Wilson and J. Robert Canfield, stopped by the site the next morning and saw two 18-inch triangular impressions that sloped down to a depth of eight inches. They found three more identical impressions and two skid marks. They also found nine-inch diameter, six-inch deep, cone-shaped imprints as if someone had pressed a pointed drinking cup into the sand. These went from the reported landing site to about 12 feet from where the car was. The men also found wet spots of sand that were sticky. They told Keel that most liquids evaporate quickly on the beach. Samples were collected in plastic bottles. One officer told Keel that he had a sample analyzed privately by a relative who was a chemist and that it was identified as silicon. He said that when it dried, it formed a plastic-like substance. Keel describes the Air Force investigation. According to him, they made plaster casts of the impressions and then kicked over the traces, destroying the markings. They also took all the bottles of sand. According to Keel, Descanio said he told the Air Force investigators that there were no bears in the area. Keel then describes the Air Force stating that raccoons and bears are known to be in that area, and that there was nothing unusual in the samples except urine. The Project Blue Book record card has the conclusion that the lights are unidentified, the marks are not related, and the monster was an unrelated, probable animal. According to Keel, the officers maintained their belief, and he notes that each one came to him separately and asked specifically about UFO reports involving kidnappings, about which they seemed especially interested. APRO's coverage is very much the same as Keel's, but they add the details involving the presence 
of a National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, Buffalo, New York, subcommittee. According to APRO, the group arrived, interviewed witnesses, posed for photographers, etc. The NICAP group weren't impressed and declared the incident a probable hoax. Keel includes a couple of UFO reports in the area the same night and wraps up his articles with a couple of creature sightings. According to him, a witness in Erie, Pennsylvania, claims she was awakened at 5.30 a.m. on August 3rd by the barking of neighborhood dogs. She went to a window and saw a creature she described as 5 foot 6 inches tall, wearing a yellow jacket and pants that had no pockets or belts she could see. She said it had a huge moon-shaped head that, when seen from the side, was flat in the back. The head was covered in straggly, mud-colored brown hair. She said it moved like a mechanical wind-up toy, holding its arms at its sides. Its arms didn't move, and its legs didn't bend. As it went on its way, it ignored the barking dogs at its heels. Keel adds that another woman told him that that same week she was driving down 3rd Street when she saw the creature and stopped the car. It came up and pounded on the hood, and then went off into the night. Charles Lear is the author of The Flying Saucer Investigators, available at Amazon.com.